Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us this morning, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. It is good to be home. Uh, We have had a wonderful mission trip this past week to El Salvador. Thank you so much for the many prayers that you've offered and the many ways of support that many of you gave. And it was a tremendously successful trip. It was the uh, most unusual Trip, mission trip to El Salvador that I've ever been upon. And, and when you hear the report of it, you'll hear about several of the things with a national election taking place and, and the left party that leans towards communism actually won. Uh, the U.S. Embassy wanted us to stay in an extra day before we went out on the streets, so we lost a day that is usually a productive day. And then because of a virus that went through our team, we ended up having to close our compound down a day early, and so we lost a day at the end. Uh, but, you know, God promises in 2 Corinthians 12 that He'll take our weakness and His strength and He'll accomplish more. And that's exactly what happened. I've never been on a trip to El Salvador where we've had 21 baptisms, but yet that's what happened in those days, uh, even though we seem weakened on every front. We seem weakened from the beginning and weakened throughout and even weakened to the end. And God was glorified and magnified. And a lot of good was done from the medical staff that went with us, uh, seeing so many patients and ended up uh, caring for between 20 and 30 of our own patients uh, that ended up being a part of the team that became patients. Uh, It's a wonderful trip, wonderful trip. We're glad to be home safely and do continue to pray for the young church. The church is only a year old there in Tanaka in El Salvador. And uh, now that church, hopefully and prayerfully, will be meeting this morning, probably about in an hour from now. And uh, we hope and pray that their attendance will be more than double this morning and that those young souls uh, will grow and mature. We also want to give a reminder to all of you fathers and daughters. uh, Next weekend is the father-daughter's retreat. It's the first time we've ever done that. The father-son retreat went so well that that there were several requests for that. And and Clint McCullough was honored and glad to do that. And that retreat will take place next weekend, Friday and Saturday. And if some want to stay to Sunday, that option will be available too. It's $40 per Group, whether it's a father and two or three daughters or, or one daughter. And it is at Bill McDonald's uh, facility that he has there in Hickman County. And so uh, you do need to sign up by tonight. So see the member connect kiosk and there you can find out information. Uh, you can see the itinerary and you also can sign up there. So be sure and be thinking about that. And if that works for you, it'll be a tremendous blessing uh, for the father and daughters of, of this congregation. We are blessed richly with many, many wonderful opportunities. Let's make sure that we take advantage of those and give God all the glory. If I say to you the words post-dramatic stress disorder, perhaps everyone here would know immediately what we were speaking of. You see, it's something that, that has been studied, proven to exist. As a matter of fact, if you noticed on the follow-up reports of the aircraft that landed in an emergency landing in the Hudson River recently. You know, several of the crew members said they were suffering from that, and of course, several of the passengers were too. They spoke of flashbacks. They spoke of trouble sleeping, or when they were sleeping, they spoke of nightmares that they were having. There have been a lot of research that's taken place about this disorder. It's found that any time there are uh, natural disasters, any time there are terrorist incidents, even violent personal assaults such as 
uh, rape or murder. Of course, after military combat, this seems to be a problem. But you know, sometimes it is spoken about so often that individuals start assuming that everybody that goes through some traumatic event suffers from this afterwards. Did you know that studies have revealed that anywhere from two-thirds to three-fourths of all people that go through a severe traumatic event do not suffer from it at all? As a matter of fact, because of that, some begin studying this from another angle. And they call this particular study post-traumatic, post-traumatic growth. In other words, what scientists are finding out is that while some do suffer from a disorder, the majority of people seem to come out maybe even stronger after a very difficult time. Now, for us as Christians... That doesn't surprise us at all. We know that God has made our minds, our heart, our soul, and even to some degree our body resilient. God has made us so that oftentimes it is the very most difficult times in life that we can live long enough to look back and say, you know, I would not have wanted that to happen, but I can tell you some ways that I'm a better person. I can tell you some ways that I'm stronger. I can tell you some ways that now I face day-to-day situations a little more prepared than what I would have ever done so without that. I'm reminded of a few quotes. If God brings you to it, He can bring you through it. Or I'd like to put just a little bit different spin on what Helen Keller said. Although the world is full of suffering... It is full also of the overcoming of it. Perhaps that's true. But what I'd like for us to think about this morning is, yes, the world is full of suffering. But you know who is full of the overcoming of it? It's not the world. It's Christ. It's Christianity. We, out of all people, ought to be the ones that can overcome and deal with it in the way that it ought to be dealt with. It sounds like that it would have been some great apostle or or preacher or teacher that said this, but instead it was Ernest Hemingway. And he says, The world breaks everyone and some get strong in broken places. What about you? At the times that you feel like your life has been broken, is that when you have become your strongest? I think about not that long ago, talking to one of you across the desk, and and I mentioned to you, I said, well, you know, there are a lot of people in our congregation right now that have struggles. And you look back at me and you said, no, that would be everyone. And that's true. You either are in struggles, or you've recently had struggles, or you'll have them. It won't be too far into the future. You see, a part of those struggles, God allows them to happen. Because if they didn't happen, we would be weak, spoiled children. 
we're looking at an action series through the book of Acts. We come to Acts the fourth chapter this morning and it is the first time that we see the church being persecuted. The first time that we see individuals on this earth that they're hurting simply because they're Christians. They didn't do anything wrong. They didn't ask for it. They could have literally shrugged their shoulders and said, this is unfair. I didn't deserve this. But instead of basking in self-pity, I think it would do us all well this morning to learn a lesson from Peter and John. To say, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? Whenever times are tough, whenever things are unfair, whenever I'm being falsely accused, whenever I'm simply striving to be a faithful Christian and my world comes crumbling in, or maybe it's not that big of a disaster, but still it hurts. Lord, what is it that you want me to do? Now you remember from Acts the third chapter, that was the healing of the lame man that was lying by the gate, beautiful, outside the temple there. And you remember this man had been lame for 40 years from his birth. So this 40-year-old man finally was given the healing power by God to be able to get up and to walk about and to run. Now, can you imagine that? Someone having carried him every day to that gate and now he's up and running about. Surely everyone would rejoice about that. But no, as we've had capably read for us this morning in the Scripture reading, notice there in the fourth chapter, in verse 1, 2, and 3 again, we see that it's just the contrary to that. Instead, we see that there were a group that came and, and they wanted to arrest Peter and John. And the rest of the chapter is about the pain that they planned to inflict upon their life because their goal was very simple. We're going to stop Christianity. Remember, they never wanted it to begin to begin with. They thought they were stopping it when they crucified the leader on the cross. And now, instead of doing away with Christianity, we see that now the movement has exploded just a few days prior. You remember Acts, the second chapter, when Jesus Christ was preached and some of the very ones that had cried out, crucified Him, crucified Him, are now saying, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. And you can imagine the anger that is boiling inside of the Jewish leaders because they thought, hey, we had this problem taken care of. We crucified Jesus. And now... There is a gathering that is growing power. They're growing strength. We must put an end to this. I'd like for you to notice as we look at this chapter, obviously a chapter this long, we can't look at every aspect of it this morning in one sermon. So let's do this. Let's look this morning at the people that planned on putting an end to Christianity. Let's look at the problem that they had with it and what they were doing, what Peter and John was doing. And then let's also look at the power that they were using to try to put an end to it. And then we'll simply close with just three bullet points to say, here's what Peter and John did at a time when they were being hurt because of their Christianity. So let's look at these people. 
do you notice as you look there in verse 1, we see three people. And I want to go ahead and tell you this so you can be kind of be looking for this as we read. Then we're going to skip down and look at verse 5 and then verse 6. And if we put together the groups of people and are the individuals, there are 11 people that are going to be brought. And it's not just individuals. It's 11 groups and are individuals that's going to be brought together to intimidate Peter and John. And so let's look at who the first would be again as we go back to verse 1. You see there in the fourth chapter in verse 1. And by the way, there'll be limited slides this morning. Uh, the uh, computer uh, battery went down on the plane coming back. And so rather than give you a half the slides and finish without, we just, we'll just have this and that, that'll be it. But uh, so, so get your Bible out if you don't have your Bible open. Open to Acts 4 or look on page 968 and 969. And let's study this together. In the fourth chapter in verse 1. Notice the, the beginning of the three groups we have here. We, it says, now, as they spoke to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. Now, go ahead and note the fact that when it says come upon them, it was very sudden. It wasn't that they just casually walked up to them and said, let's listen to what Peter and John said. Oh, wasn't that an interesting lesson? No, they came as if to take them. They came as if to arrest them. Well, who was it that came up on them. Number one, we see there's the priest. Now, you know, there would be a priest, of course, out of the Levitical tribe scattered throughout all of Judea. But by this time, there had been a caste system, if you want to call it that, where a certain caste of priest had gained a lot of influence and a lot of preeminence, and they lived right there in Jerusalem. Probably, no doubt, that would have been some of the priests that's being referred to there. But then notice the second listed is the captain of the temple. The captain of the temple, once you take out all Roman authority and you look at Judaism in Jerusalem, the high priest had the greatest authority, but second to him was captain of the temple. Do you remember when Jesus was arrested just a few months prior to this? When he was arrested, there was a group of soldiers that were led by a captain. It was the captain of the temple. It wasn't Roman soldiers that arrested Jesus. It was their soldiers led by the captain of the temple. He was second in command of all of Judaism. And then we see a third, and this is a group, and that is the Sadducees. They were a smaller sect of Jews. But note this because it comes into play into this setting here. They were very wealthy. And because of their wealth, they carried a lot of power. They realized that when the Romans began to occupy Jerusalem, that if they wanted to hang on to their power, they needed to figure out a way to kind of have a buddy-buddy system with the Romans. And that's what they had developed. Because of their wealth and because of their friendliness with the Romans, they had created a great strength a great authority and power within Jerusalem. These are the ones who come to lay their hands on them with an effort and a mindset that says, we're going to put an end to this Christianity here and now before it gets any further down the road. Well, who else came? Now, by the way, in 2 and 3, what we see was they put them in custody that night. And then they're going to bring... Uh, them back in front of a group in verse 5 and 6. And if you'll notice in 7, just so you can paint a picture in your mind, you see where he says, and when they had sent, set them in the midst of them, 
So now we're going to put together the rest of this grouping. And I want you to just think about here, Peter and John sitting in the midst of these people. All of these wealthy, powerful people are surrounding them. Uh, Who else would it be? You see in verse 5, And it came to pass on the next day that the rulers... We're not told what they were rulers of, but it would have been Jewish rulers, maybe rulers over some soldiers, maybe rulers over the synagogues, but Jewish rulers would have been there. But then also elders coming even out of the Old Testament. We see here that the elders are not like we think of elders today in the New Testament church. This is elders in Israel where they would take men that were the older men. They were highly respected. And when they gave advice it became almost authoritative because their influence was so strong. And then we see also that there were scribes. These were the men that would have carried the influence from the Scriptures. They were the ones that should have known the Scriptures very well, would have taught the Scriptures very well, and they were in charge of copying Scriptures so people would have duplicate copies of Scripture. All right, so that gives us six so far. Now let's look to verse six and and let's see a few more here. We have, as well as Annas, the high priest. And then we have Caiaphas. Now, a lot of the time when we really study in detail, this starts to confuse uh, individuals sometime here. Keep in mind that according to Israel, that once you were a high priest, you were a high priest for life. But when the Romans came into power, they didn't like some things that Annas did. So what they said was, we're going to take you out of power. We're not going to allow you to be a high priest. But to show perhaps a little bit of sympathy, they said, we'll let some of your family members be high priests. And so history proves that he had a son-in-law, which was Caiaphas here, that served for a short time as high priest. And he even had four or five sons that would rotate in and serve as high priest. But you can imagine with Israel the way they viewed this. They said, okay... The Romans think that his son-in-law or his sons are the high priest. We will accept that puppet type of authority, but we all know who really is the high priest of Israel. The the Israelites looked at it and said, it's going to be Annas that's our high priest. And that's why, if you'll remember back with the whole orchestration of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, do you remember who was kind of leading all of that charge? It was these two men. These two men were the ones that had brought an end. Now, please, for the, for the impact of this chapter, imagine if just a few months previously, Jesus Christ had been crucified because of the leadership of these two men. They had orchestrated the whole event. And now, just a few months later, you're standing in the midst of that circle and they have a similar goal. Let's put an end to Christianity. How would you feel? Would you be ready to give up on Christianity? You remember Peter, in fear, he denied the Lord three times. The test is on. Peter, are you going to deny this time? And then we see also that there were ones like John and Alexander, which we know little about, but it would not be the Apostle John. It would have been probably members of the high priest family. And then that family is just listed in general, as it says, as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. We see a setting here where they literally called in the most powerful authoritative, influential 
and even wealthy individuals in their society to say, we're going to stop Christianity. I want you to imagine that if someone came because you did a good deed and arrested you and led you before the highest powers in Nashville, Tennessee. You saw the governor of the state. You saw the mayor. You, you, you saw TBI and FBI agents. Imagine if you're in the midst of the highest ranking authorities in our society here and knowing that just a few months ago, they put your leader to death. Friends, when we see the strength and the boldness of John and of Peter at this time, we see individuals that we need to learn lessons from them. What power did they try to use? First, they tried to use intimidation. The idea of taking someone that's innocent and throwing them into jail and then saying, but we won't talk to you until tomorrow. Don't you think that they probably thought, hey, when Peter and John come before us tomorrow and they've had time to think about this and we have all these powerful people surround them, they're they're going to have their knees shaking and they're going to buckle under the pressure and they're going to say, yes, sir, yes, sir, we won't ever preach that again. No, sir, we're not Christians anymore. We left Jesus Christ last night when we were in the jail cell. Intimidation. Satan has always used intimidation to drive people away from Christianity. Sometimes he uses our peers. Sometimes he uses people with authority. Sometimes he uses people in our life that we think are powerful or influential. I want to ask you this morning, are you willing to stand as Peter and John and say, look, I don't care what the intimidation looks like. I'm not leaving my Lord. As a matter of fact, look in verse 13, which is kind of uh, ironic, if you will, that, that Luke puts this in as he writes the Gospel of Acts, because it kind of shows us that even though they were trying to intimidate them, they couldn't help but be impressed with them. In verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled that they realized that they had been with Jesus. They marveled. They said, Wow. These guys aren't trained like we are. They haven't gone to the rabbinic schools. They haven't had the the great education that we've had. But yet they're able in the last few days to move thousands of people to follow them. They marveled at the success of these individuals. Well, when the intimidation didn't work, they decided to try threats. Look, if you will, down in, in verse 21. And 21, so when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what they'd done. Now, if you have further threats, what have you had to have previously? Well, obviously, you had to have previous threats to have further threats. So what we find out in this statement is somewhere earlier in this setting, they'd already been threatened. That probably would fit best back in verse 18. 
So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus Christ. So they, they, they try to intimidate them. It doesn't work. Instead, they're kind of impressed with their boldness. So then they send them out, and we skipped over that part in the reading there, but they sent them out, and, and they talked among themselves. And so what they came up with was the idea, I'll tell you what, instead of intimidating them, we will just straight out threaten them. We'll get them to stop this. They call them back in, and they threaten them. We don't know what they said. Maybe they threatened them with more jail time. One night wasn't long enough. I tell you what, we can let one night turn into a month and we can let a month become a year. We don't mind if you stay in this jail cell till you decay. Or maybe they would have mentioned scourgings, stonings, or maybe, maybe with a chuckle, a reminder. <laughs> Do you remember what we did to Jesus Christ just a few months ago? If we don't want our hands to look dirty with this Peter and John, we can figure out a way to get the Roman government to take care of it. And you know, they don't mind crucifixion. Can you imagine the threats? Can you imagine the threats to say, we are stopping Christianity today? And what was their answer? Look at 19 and see Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. You judge. You want to stop us? You judge what's right. One thing we cannot stop doing. We cannot stop doing what Jesus Christ has asked us to do. In other words, you do what you have to do. And we'll do what we have to do. Friends, is that the way I see my life in times of suffering? Because let's be honest, a lot of the times in times of suffering, we begin to renegotiate with ourselves. Well, I guess if they're going to treat me like that, I tell you what, I would have never done this before, but now I'm going to do this towards them. And all of a sudden, our convictions that we've always had start to weaken and we start to change. Do we have a conviction that says, Lord, I must do what you say. I will do what you say. I do not want to buckle. I do not want to fold. I do not want to give up. I do not want to give in. Lord, I want to be yours. Why were they so irritated? The whole problem goes back to verse 2, was because number 1 in verse 2, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people. If you remember in Matthew the 27th chapter, Pilate said he knew why the Jews brought Jesus to be crucified. He said it was because the Jews were envious. He knew that Jesus was pulling their followers and they were envious of Jesus. Now what's happening right here? Just a few days before, they pulled 3,000 of their followers. And now what are, the, what are the leaders of Judaism trying to do? The same thing they did a few months ago. Don't teach our people. Leave our people alone. Oh, if they would have started with the Gentiles, they probably would have never attacked Christianity. 
but they started with their people. And not only did they start with their people, there was a second thing that was powerful. Look at the rest of verse 2. Being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. If they would have just preached something else, but they preached about Jesus, what did they do? They crucified Him. What did the Lord do? God, God raised the Lord from the dead. And now they were preaching about a resurrection. Remember who came to arrest Him? The Sadducees. What did the Sadducees believe? There was no resurrection. There was no soul. There was no spirit. And so now they are angry. They're teaching false doctrine. They're teaching about Jesus. They're teaching that Jesus was raised from the dead. They're teaching that we're going to have a resurrection They're pulling our people away and they're teaching them all the things that we don't want them to be taught. And so their plea was to stop Christianity because Christianity, please listen to this, Christianity offended them. If I have a mindset that says I'm going to be a faithful Christian and I'm going to make sure everybody likes me, Friends, that's never gone hand in hand. Christianity is offensive to many people. There are billions of people on this earth that if you want to talk about a love and a life in serving God, they would respect and honor that. But if you want to talk about a life loving and serving God, Jesus Christ, you have offended them royally. And Peter and John show us a powerful lesson. And that is we should never, never back down from our stand with Jesus Christ. As these individuals were offended, we see the strength that they upheld about Jesus in 10 and 11, but time doesn't permit for us to look at that. But what I'd like for you to see is I'd like for you to see the reaction. Their reaction after they made this stand was that in 23, they went back and they gave a report of all that had happened to them. And then they began to pray. And I'd like for you to notice how this is summarized in 29, in verse 29. Now the Lord, look on their threats. This is a part of the prayer. Now Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness, they may speak your word. Isn't that interesting? Because they'd already stood so successful. In other words, let's just pretend that you and I didn't know this chapter and we were just going to scan it real quick. And we scan and we get in our mind, okay, Peter and John are being threatened, okay. And then let's just drop down to the end, let's scan the end. And, and, and toward the latter part of the chapter we see, oh, so now they're praying that in the future they'll have boldness. Oh, they must have not done a very good job standing that time. And so since they were weak, they went back and they prayed about it. Maybe it doesn't stand out to you. But to me, it stands out as a powerful lesson that Peter and John stood so strong and so firm. But yet when it was over, they called the church together to say, Let's pray that we stand so strong and so firm. Peter and John realized where the power came from, didn't they? And they realized if they were going to have power for the next time, they had to lean on the same source 
So what's the bullets? Number one, in times of suffering, do not react to the surroundings. But instead, be empowered by God to say, God, what is your will for me right now? Peter and John did not respond to the surroundings. You arrested me last night, it wasn't fair, and I tell you what, I'm going to put you in your place. No. God, what is it you want us to do? And they spoke God's word. They didn't try to defend themselves. They didn't try to get even. They didn't try revenge. Friends, this week, somebody in here will be sorely mistreated. Odds are. Are you going to react to the surroundings? Are you going to be empowered by God? Not because of what that person has done, you'll say or do, but because of who your God is. This is what I'm going to say and do. Number two, another way of saying that is, look for eternal strength, not internal strength. I think too often, we try to say, I need to be stronger. I need to find the right answer within me. And the reality is, we need to realize we don't have right answers on our own. Only God has the right answers. And so let's look for the eternal strength. And number three, let's learn from the last part of that chapter. We never have reason to brag. But we always have reason to go back and to pray. God... Help me to be bold the next time. Whatever we look in our past and we've overcome, let's give God the glory. And whatever is in our future that we don't see right now, let's wholly depend upon God in order to overcome. There'll be days in our life that Christianity hurts. There'll be days in our life where we've lived and we've done righteous things and others mistreat us. And the question that I need to ask myself this morning from the action series of Acts is what's my response going to be to that? Let's serve God in the good times and in the difficult times. And if you're not a child of God, would you be baptized into Christ this morning? If you have been and you've fallen away, will you come back to Him this morning? And if we can help you with that, please come as we stand and as we sing.